0: Chapter Seven of the History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless Volume 3 by Eliza Haywood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 may be called an appendix to the former, as it contains only some passages subsequent to the preceding occurrences. What pain soever the good nature and generosity of Mr. Trueworth had made him suffer at sight of the unfortunate Miss Flora's distress? it was dissipated by recalling to his mind the pleasing idea sir basil had inspired in him of succeeding in his wishes with the amiable miss harriet what sleep he had that night doubtless presented him with nothing but the delightful images of approaching joys and possibly might give him some intimation of what was in those moments doing for him by those who were waking for his interest Mrs. Wellair, who was extremely cautious how she undertook anything, without being fully convinced it was right and no less industrious in accomplishing whatever she had undertook, had employed all the time she had, with her sister before dinner, in representing to her in the most pathetic terms the passion Mr. Trueworth had for her, the extraordinary merits he was possessed of, and the many advantages of an alliance with him. But Miss Harriet was modest to that excess, that to be told, though from the mouth of a sister, she had inspired any inclinations of the sort she mentioned, gave her the utmost confusion. She had not considered the differences of sexes, and could not hear that anything in her had reminded others of it without blushing. The effects of her beauty gave her rather a painful than a pleasing sensation, and she was ready to die with shame at what the most part of women were studious to acquire and look on as their greatest glory she offered nothing however in opposition to what mrs wellair had said concerning the person or amiable qualities of mr trueworth neither indeed had she a will to do it she had been always highly pleased with his conversation and had treated him with the same innocent freedom she did her brother and she was now afraid that it was her behaving to him in this manner that had encouraged him to think of making his addresses to her as a lover. She looked back with regret on every little mark of favour she had shown him, lest he should have construed them into a meaning which was far distant from her thoughts, and these reflections it was that occasioned that unusual pensiveness which Sir Basil had observed in her at dinner, and which had given him some apprehensions, proceeded from a cause less favourable to his friend." Mrs. Weller was not at all discouraged by the manner in which her sister had listened to this overture. She knew that several proposals of the same nature had been made to her in the country, all which she had rejected, and rejected with a disdain, a certain air of abhorrence, widely different to what she testified on account of Mr. Trueworth, and this prudent lady rightly judged that he had little else to combat with than the over-bashfulness of his mistress.' At night, on going to bed, she renewed the discourse, and pursued the theme she had began, with such success, that she brought Miss Harriet to confess she believed there was no man more deserving to be loved than Mr. Trueworth. "'But, my dear sister,' said she, "'I have no inclination to marry, nor to leave you. I am quite happy as I am, and desire to be no more so.' To which the other replied, "'That was childish talking,' that she would doubtless marry some time or other, that she might, perhaps, never have so good an offer, and could not possibly have a better, therefore advised her, not to slip the present opportunity. But whenever Mr. Trueworth should make a declaration of his passion to herself, to receive it in such a manner, as should not give him any room to imagine she was utterly averse to his pretensions. Miss Harriet suffered her to urge her on this point for a considerable time, but at last replied, in a low and hesitating voice that she would be guided by her friends who she was perfectly convinced had her interest at heart and knew much better than herself what conduct she ought to observe to which mrs wellair replied but the end would abundantly justify the advice had been given her the first thing this lady did in the morning was to go to her brother's chamber and acquaint him with all that had passed between herself and miss harriet after which they agreed together that mr trueworth should have an opportunity that very day of making his addresses to her though sir basil thought it needless to add anything to what was already done yet he could not forbear taking an occasion when they were at breakfast to mention mr trueworth's name and the many good qualities he was possessed of mrs wellair joined in the praises her brother gave him but miss harriet spoke not a word on which are you not of our opinion sister cried he to her yes brother answered she mr trueworth is certainly a very fine gentleman how cold is such an expression resumed sir basil and even that extorted you would not sure sir said she a little gaily have me in raptures about him and speak as if i were in love with him indeed but i would cried sir basil and what is more would also have you be so he deserves it from you and you must some time or other be sensible of the tender passion, you cannot do it at more suitable years. I see no necessity, replied she, for my being so at any years. It is a sign, then, said he, that you have not consulted nature. Have you never read what Lord Lansdowne has wrote upon this subject? If you have not, I will repeat it to you. In vain from fate we strive to fly, for first or last, as all must die. "'so tis decreed by those above "'that first or last we all must love.' "'Poets are not always prophets,' answered she, laughing. "'It depends upon Mr. Trueworth himself,' said Sir Basil, "'to prevent you from giving the lie to the prediction. "'If he fails, I shall believe no other man in the world "'will ever have the power to engage you. "'To fulfil it. "'He dines here to-day. "'Sister Wellair and I are obliged to go abroad in the afternoon.' so must desire you to make tea, and entertain him as well as you can, till we come back. I see you are both in the plot against me, cried she, but I shall endeavour to behave so, as not to affront your guest, yet at the same time to be far from making good your oracle. A gentleman coming in to Sir Basil broke off their discourse, and relieved Miss Harriet from any further persecution at this time. It was not that she disliked either the person or conversation of Mr. Trueworth, or that she was tired with the praises given him by her brother and sister. On the contrary, she found a thousand things which they had not mentioned to admire in him. In fine, he was in reality less indifferent to her than she herself imagined, but there was a certain shyness in her disposition, which mingled some share of pain with the pleasure of hearing him spoke of as her lover. She was sensible this propensity, which nature had implanted, was a weakness in her, but though she used her utmost efforts for overcoming it, she found herself unequal to the task. In vain she considered that the addresses of a man of such perfect honour and politeness as Mr. Trueworth could not but be accompanied with the most profound respect. In vain she called to mind the example of other ladies, whom she had seen behave in the company of those who professed themselves their lovers, with the greatest ease and sprightliness, the very sight of Mr. Trueworth, as she saw him from her chamber-window, talking with her brother in the garden, threw her heart into palpitations, which all the reason she was mistress of could not enable her to quiet. But when obliged to go down and sit with him at table, her confusion increased, by being more near the object which occasioned it, she endeavoured to treat him with the same freedom she had been accustomed. But it was not in her power. In fine, never woman suffered more in constraining herself to be silent and demure than she did in constraining herself to be talkative and gay. What then became of her when Sir Basil and Mrs. Wellair, after making a formal excuse for a short absence, went out and left her exposed to the solicitations of a passion, which her timid modesty had made her so much dread. The moment Mr. Trueworth saw himself alone with her, he approached her with the most tender and respectful air. How often, madam, have I languished for an opportunity such as this, of telling you how much my soul adores you. My dear friend, Sir Basil, has assured me he has prepared you to forgive the boldness of my flame, and that for his sake you will vouchsafe to listen to my vows, "'but it is from myself alone "'you can be convinced of the ardency "'of the love you have inspired. "'My brother, sir,' answered she, blushing, "'has indeed informed me "'that I have obligations to you "'of a nature which I was as far from expecting "'as I am from deserving.' "'Here Mr. Trueworth began to run into some praises "'on the charms which had subdued his heart, "'which, though no more than dictated by his real sentiments, "'seemed to her too extravagant, and beyond what her modesty would suffer her to endure. "'Hold, sir!' cried she, interrupting him. "'If you would have me believe your professions are sincere, forbear I beseech you to talk to me in this manner. It is an ill-judged policy, methinks in you men, to idolise the women too much. You wish would think well of you. If our sex are in reality so vain as you generally represent us, on whom but yourselves can the fault be laid?' and if we prove so weak as to imagine ourselves such as either the flattery or the partial affection of the lover paints us we shall be apt to take everything as our due and think little gratitude is owing for the offering he makes us of his heart mr trueworth was perfectly ravished at hearing her speak thus but durst not express himself with too much warmth on the occasion it must be confessed madam replied he that the beauties of the person were not accompanied by those of the mind, afford but a short-lived triumph to the fair possessor. They dazzle at first sight, and take the senses, as it were, by surprise. But the impression soon wears off, and the captivated heart regains its former liberty. Nay, perhaps wonders at itself for having been enslaved, whereas those darts which fly from the perfections of the mind penetrate into the soul and fix a lasting empire there, But when both these charms shall happen to be united, as in the lovely Harriet, continued he, taking one of her hands and kissing it, when in the most enchanting form that nature ever made, is found a soul enriched with every virtue, every grace, how indissoluble is the chain, how glorious the bondage! Love is a theme I have never made my study, answered she, but according to my notions of the matter, those gentlemen who pretend to be affected by it give themselves more trouble than they need as that passion is generally allowed rather to be the child of fancy than of real merit in the object loved i should think it would be sufficient for any man in his addresses to a lady to tell her that she happens to hit his taste that she is what he likes without dressing her up in qualities which perhaps have no existence but in his own imagination where love is founded on beauty alone as i have already said resumed mr trueworth the instructions you give madam of the manner of declaring it is certainly very just for indeed no father could be warranted by sincerity but where reason directs the lover's choice and points out those excellences which alone can make him happy in the possession of his wishes ideas more sublime will naturally arise and we can never too much admire or praise what is immediately from the divine source of all perfection. It is not, O charming Harriet, pursued he, looking on her with the utmost tenderness, it is not those radiant eyes, that lovely mouth, nor that sweet majesty that shines through all your air, but it is the heaven within that I adore. To that I pay my present worship, and on that build all my hopes of future bliss." Miss Harriet was about to make some reply, but his looks, the vehemence with which he uttered these last words, and the passionate gesture which accompanied them, made her relapse into her former bashfulness, from which she had a little recovered herself, and again deprived her of the power of speech. "'You give up the point then, my angel,' cried he, perceiving she was silent. "'And I am glad you do, for had you continued to prohibit my expatiating on these merits, which made me your adorer, I must have maintained the argument, even against your lovely self, to whom I shall for ever yield in all things else. After this, he fell, insensibly as it were, into some discourse concerning the divine ordinance of marriage, and then proceeded to give her the most amiable picture that words could form of that state, when two persons of virtue, honour, and good sense were by love and law united and found themselves equally bound by duty and inclination to make each other's happiness there are some ladies who listen very contentedly to the most warm and amorous addresses can be made to them yet will not suffer the least word of marriage till after a long and tedious preparation is made for a sound which they pretend to think so dreadful these no doubt will say that mr trueworth went too far for a lover on the first declaration of his passion, but he was emboldened to act in the manner he did, by the brother of his mistress, and had the satisfaction to perceive she was not offended at it. She had a great share of solid understanding, was an enemy to all sorts of affectation, and as she knew the end proposed by his courtship was marriage, saw no reason why he should be fearful of mentioning it to her and though her modesty would not permit her to take much part in a conversation of this nature yet she was too artless and indeed too sincere to counterfeit a displeasure which she did not feel chapter seven